Alrighty, good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Dan, as most of you guys already know, but for those of you that don't, I'm Dan. Would you stand for me, stand with me for the scripture reading today? We'll be reading out of Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, like a wise man, builds his ho- who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you remain standing as we pray? Father in heaven, Lord, we pray that we might find your foundation. We might find the solid rock And we might stand on it and build our lives like this good and wise builder. Lord, that is our simple prayer this morning as we come. We praise you, Lord. We lift your name high in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's people shouted with joy. Amen. Amen. You guys are rowdy today. You may sit down and please calm down. Just kidding. This story is an iconic story, isn't it? There's two builders. We could summarize it in just a couple seconds. There's two builders. One builds on the sand. One builds on the rock. And then like all of life, things happen. The rains come. The storms come. The waters rise. And the house that was built on the sand, it falls down with a crash, it says, and the other house stands. This happens all the time in real life. uh, There's a whole Wikipedia page uh, dedicated to this because I was researching this morning. um, And there's a whole Wikipedia about collapses, buildings collapsing. Even today, you would think like, aren't we, you know, aren't we better than this? Like with concrete and rebar and codes and all this stuff. But sure enough, this still happens today. Even in uh, modern construction, just a few years ago, a big building in Shanghai, modern construction, big apartment complex went up. Uh, They built underneath it a parking garage and the footers went into what they thought was solid ground but instead when it rained when the waters rose and the water table rose that foundation turned into mud and there's pictures of it it's literally just fell right over on its side one person was killed and just the horror like this happens lives fall apart buildings fall apart this is the metaphor with a crash so we are starting today a new series. This uh, proverb will guide us, will set the stage for us. It's called the Whole Life Sermon Series on Spirituality. All things considering the human Christian life. We'll look at lots of different things. I have a list of things that we'll talk about. But Jesus says, if you hear the words he spoke and put them into practice, you will be conformed into a life like God. You will be like the house that is built on the rock. And that's, by the way, if you're in here and you're wondering what we believe, we believe in a gospel of grace. We believe that you're not saved by your works, that you don't start just building a house and then you become a person of God. We believe that your life is founded and then you can build on that rock that is Christ. You are saved by grace. That is how we are all saved. Amen. Thank you. And and that is the word preached this morning. So let me tell, uh, if I may, a modern rendition of this story. Uh, Imagine a very rich um, uh, builder, 
uh, developer, landowner. This person would be really wealthy if they were around Colorado Springs and owning a bunch of land, converting that land into houses, and then selling the houses. This person got really, really rich. Along the way, there's always been these two guys with him in this business, and he gives them an opportunity. He says, guys, I want you to quit what you're doing with these little homes, and I want you to take over two different projects. I want you to build for me two houses in my neighborhood where he lives, and I want these houses to be spectacular spectacular mansions and he gives them a budget. He like writes the number on the table, slides it over and they're like, whoa, we get to spend this much on building a house, a mansion. This is going to be crazy. They're each given the same amount. And he says, guys, I trust you. I don't really care. I don't, I don't care about, uh, you know, the, 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 um, like the, 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 I'm not a builder. The, 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 the what? I don't, you guys don't even know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. The, the, the stuff, you know, the, the, the things. The, concern, the material cost, the, the invoices, that's what I'm talking about. Let, just let me talk and you guys listen. That's your job. This is my job. <laughs> oh, it's hot in here, isn't it? All right. So they're like, just do what you need to do. Here's the budget. One guy, we'll call him Bob. Bob the Builder. I have four little boys. Very creative. He does everything right. He, he's like the, to code. He do, he's a craftsman. He takes things very seriously. He builds the structure. He builds this huge, awesome mansion. And then the other guy, and he'll remain nameless because in all honesty, this is, this is us. This, this is a metaphor. This is me. This is you. This is what we all do at different times in our life. And this guy thinks, well, this is different than any other project uh, that I've ever done with this guy. He's just giving us the budget and saying, go for it. I don't need to see the invoices or this and that. And so he's, he decides, like, well, I'm going to charge him the full amount. I'm going to go to budget. And all the money along the way that I can save by cutting corners... I'm going to do that. And so instead of hiring the best company to, to uh, compress the soil, he hires just some people that he thinks that can make it look like they've compressed the soil. And he does that. He hires a company to uh, do the slab in Colorado. Tim, how, how, how thick does a slab need to be for residential? Do you know off the top of your head? Six inches, four inches? Depends. Okay, thank you. Uh, whatever it is, he, he does it smaller. He's like, I'm going to cut, cut cost and do it. If it needs to be six inches, I'm going to do it three. Cut, cuts cost, makes it look like it's six, but really it's just three. So when the inspectors come by, he just starts cutting corners. He's like, I'm going to charge him this amount, but all this money I am going to put into my pocket. The walls, he, instead of uh, um, six, 16 on center, is that right? The, the walls, the, the two by fours, he does like 20, 25 inches, just, just kind of willy-nilly, saving money along the way. Instead of uh, what's the, where's Jerry at? Jerry, how, how the gauge of, of uh, electrical wire in a house, normal house, what is it? 14? 12? This guy uses like 18 gauge tiny stuff, saving money, cutting costs. He doesn't even insulate the house. He's like, well, what's this guy going to use this house for anyway? He's probably just going to be rich, snob, just living up here in the summertime. They don't need insulation. Cuts all these costs, but makes it look spectacular. There's big uh, wooden beams up on the ceiling that, that the plans called for. And instead of wooden beams, they're going to be up so high, no one will ever know. He uses these plastic things that if you look at it, it just looks like wood, but it's not. Cuts all these costs. In the end, the, uh, this wealthy landowner developer comes to these two guys' homes when all things are done, looks through the homes and it's like, wow, this is 
awesome. Both homes, spectacular. Everything looks great. Bob, the builder's house, awesome, wonderful. Like could either home could be on an episode of MTV Cribs. Either home could be on an episode. Some of you remember from the 1980s and the 1990s, uh, your host, Robin Leach, Lifestyles of the rich and famous. I remember watching that as a kid. Either home could be like, wow, this is spectacular. This is awesome. And the, 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 the wealthy landowner developer pulls the keys to these homes out of his pockets and begins talking about how much these two guys mean to him and how much uh, a craftsman they are, how they've been with him from the beginning, how they have served, how they have, you know, since the beginning, uh, made him and their company so much money, their devotion. He goes on and on about these two men and says, two men, uh, Bob and and -and so-and-so, which is all of us, the second person in some ways, how we live our lives, all of us are guilty of this, says, guys, I want you to live in my neighborhood. I am giving you the keys. And of course, Bob is like, but just beside himself, wow, what an honor, this is so great. And the other person, what would their reaction be? Like, oh no, what have I done? Like I have done things in my life that cannot be undone. I can't go back and rebuild the, the foundation. I, I, I can't. Oh, gosh, imagine. It reminds me of a saying that uh, my soccer coach in middle school used to say, uh, whatever we were fooling around, his name is Mr. Washington, uh, in the practice, and we'd say, oh, it's just practice. Who cares? He'd always say, you're going to play how you practice. This is what this message is about. We are going to be looking at, here just to name a few things, Christian life, prayer, relationships, marriage, scripture, work, uh, church, how we enter into the resurrection life, how we live a whole life. So the question I have for you as we begin, and we'll get into the first point in just a minute, the question for you is this, what's on the inside of your walls of your life? What's on the inside of your foundation that you are resting and building your life on? I want to just make that question from the beginning and ask the Holy Spirit to come to give us conviction where need be, to give us encouragement where need be, that we could look at our lives and want and desire a whole life. So the first point this morning, it's really still part of the intro, is do you want a whole life? Do you want a whole life? I think about um, the, the, the life cycle of our years. A year begins on January 1st. And many of us, and I think it's a good practice, do uh, uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, they're just a time of like looking at, okay, this new year, looking back and looking forward and say, Lord, I, I need, to, as long as it's God-centered and, and uh, good things to resolve for the year, I think it's a helpful thing to to, to make resolutions for the new year. Do you know what tomorrow is? July 1st? Halfway, almost exactly. Halfway, yes it is, really. It is really halfway through the year. And it's, I think, maybe a very appropriate time for us to think back. Some of us had, if we're honest, New Year's resolutions a couple months ago. Some of us can remember what they were. Some of us are like, yeah, I made some. I don't know what they were. Some of us just need like, yeah, another self evaluation and let the Lord speak to us, thinking about our free time, our family time, uh, time spent watching TV, 
the food we eat, the Bible studies we're a part of, the quietness of our lives, the meditation of our lives, the contemplation, probably a better word, for our lives, the journaling and uh, the life we live, the life cycle, the, the hours we spend in life. How are we spending them? What are we doing? A self-inventory of our lives. And there's one of two directions. I say all of those things. I'm looking around. And there's one of two things. Some of you are probably beating yourself up in your head, just thinking, yeah, my life is not what it should be. I mentioned some things. Yeah, I'm not doing very good with that or this. And start to beat yourself up. That is not... I am not here to preach a sermon where you beat yourself up and I you know, throw salt into the wound. That is not my heart. That is not my attention. I pray through this sermon and this whole sermon series that you will be lifted up and encouraged by the mercy and the love of Christ. And some of us, hopefully during this sermon and maybe through this sermon series, will see some blind spots in our life. I was thinking today, uh, this week, actually this week, I was thinking about how much time we spend on social media and in front of our our gadgets. And all of God's people said, oh, you're right. Like we do, right? We just do. That's what we do. And I was thinking, um, uh, uh, I was looking at Facebook because that's what you do. And you're, <laughs> that's what we do, right? Uh, and, and somebody had posted, someone who I respect uh, and someone who's another believer. But on social media, they're, they're kind of that person that's always kind of jabbing everybody and saying the world's falling apart. And they said uh, they were uh, writing a post that said, I'm here by myself at a restaurant and everyone around me is on their gadgets, all the kids, all the adults, everyone has got their faces glued to a screen and he's going on and on about how the world's falling apart. And then people started posting and adding, yeah, you got it, brother. Every, everything is messed up. The whole world's messed up. And then I thought, wait just a minute. How are you posting that, saying everyone's on their gadgets? You would have to be on your gadget too. And then I thought, how is everybody else agreeing with your post? Uh, you know, they have to be. And then I thought of my own self, like, wait a minute. How am I? Like, we're all, that's the world we live in. And I hope that maybe that's a one that we can all kind of just giggle about. Uh, it's so true. But I hope that through this sermon today, this sermon series, we might see some blind spots as we self-inventory ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, areas of our life that need help. The first sermon point was, do you want to be whole? Do you want to have a whole life? Do you want a whole life? I think about... Um, this story uh, of a healing that Jesus is at the pool of Bethsaida and there is someone, they say he's been paralyzed for 38 years. It's quite a long time for a human life. Not sure if he was born that way, it just says he was paralyzed 38 years. And it goes on to say that he's at the pool and he's waiting for, it's a kind of an interesting story. He's waiting to be healed in some way. There's alms, there's other people there who are also in some sort of similar paralyzed paralytic uh, condition. And Jesus comes up to this guy and you know what he says? He asks them a question, which I remember this question and he's seeing this uh, as a youth, my, my youth pastor preached on this verse and he just brought it up like Jesus has the audacity to ask this guy, do you want to be healed or do you want to be whole or do you want to be well is what Jesus asked this guy in the Greek, which just in my mind, like what a silly question. But it's not. I think a lot of us, if we were asked, you know, do you want a whole life? I think a lot of us would probably say, nah, 
You know, I don't know. Some of us would immediately say, yes, I need to get rid of this in my life. I need a whole life. But some of us, especially I think in the, in the world around us that we live in, if we came to someone and said, do you, do you want a whole life? I think, a, I think a lot of people might say, nah, I'm okay. You know, I have, I have things set up. I have some, some buddies. We get together at Chili's and, you know, I get, we got some stuff. Every once in a while, you know, I do this, but who cares? And I have an okay life. But Jesus is calling us into a whole life. Do you want a whole life? And I don't think this, this sermon series is going to be rocket science. I think this sermon series is going to be pretty simple. I think most of us in this room know what it means to have a whole life and know some of the steps we need to take to have a whole life. I think about the self-help books, the, probably the biggest uh, uh, section of books in a bookstore, as if anyone goes to a bookstore anymore. But in, in your, in, there used to be these things called bookstores, and there used to be sections of books, and one of the biggest sections was called a self-help section, and it was usually the biggest in a bookstore, and there was nothing there that was rocket science, nothing there that's earth-shattering, like, wow, this I never heard this before. But it's all just stuff, yeah, we need to be reminded of these things. We, need, we know what we need to do. Do you have the will to do it? I think that is part of the question of, of wanting a whole life, receiving a whole life, and that is the will to receive it. Do you have the will to receive a whole life? And I think about this um, statement, kind of re, uh, recapping where we've been. Jesus tells this parable of two builders and says, anyone who hears these words and puts them into practice, they will be like the person building on the rock foundation. I think about like, okay, how can we summarize this? How can we summarize all of life so that we can build like the person who builds on the rock foundation? And I have a little quiz for you. Some of you just, your hearts just dropped. You remember that middle school, uh, high school pop quiz that you failed. Um, but it's a quiz, and hopefully, if you've been around a while, hopefully if you're uh, one of our volunteers, you know the answer. And if you don't, this isn't on you, this is on me, because really this is something I hope we talk about enough and get into the life of the church. But I think this summarizes a resurrection life. I think this summarizes what a whole life is. I think this summarizes the life of a Christian. I think this summarizes the life of this church. If you look on our website, you will see these three words. So that's the quiz. What are the three words? If you look at um, uh, who we are, if you come to our volunteer meetings and listen to the things we talk about, if you come to uh, this church long enough, you will hear us talk about three words. The first one is worship, connect, and serve. So these are three words that if you get into the life of this church, if you get into the life of really any church, you should experience worship, connecting, and serving. Back when we started this church, uh, Easter 2016, I knew nothing about planting a church. I had been a college pastor, a youth pastor, and I took very seriously worship, connect, serve. And I thought this would be our strategy going forward. In fact, we even made this uh, thing, a uh, vision frame, and said, what's our strategy going forward? How are we going to do this? How are we going to be the people of God in Manitou? And we said these three words. Well, we're going to worship, we're going to connect, and we're going to serve. And so we went through this, this um, process as planting a church. It's like, well, I don't know what to do. I've never planted a church, but I guess we need to get together and we need to worship. And so that's what we did on Tuesday nights. We would get together and we would worship. We'd have times outside of that Tuesday. We'd get together and we would just worship the Lord. And then I thought, well, then we start needing to connecting with each other as a congregation, connecting with the city. And, and I feel like we, we, we've been 
been doing that really well. And, and then it's like, well, we need to find places to serve, serve each other as a congregation and serve the city. So this is where this sermon will now turn. All of this has yet been just my introduction. And the sermon is now three points, three points, worship, connect, serve, one, two, three. This first point, worship. Does your life Here's a question for you. Does your life have times of corporate and private times of worship? What does that mean? What is worship? Well, of course, we just had a band lead us in worship songs. And I think we could refer to that time in our service as that was worship. And now we're listening to a sermon. And I think that would be okay. But I think there's some part of listening to the word, what's going on right now, that is in fact worship. I think there's parts of our service that we pray. There's parts of our lives where we meditate and contemplate. There's parts of our life where we read the word, where we take sacraments, where we confess our sins to God and before one another. These are all worship. There's giving. When we give as an act of worship, that is in fact worship. And I wish I could tell you, I have so many stories, I can't tell them because people would be embarrassed about asking this church for help and us coming to the aid and all of your giving going to that aid. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It is an act of worship. I think of um, the power that is in this church, even this church gathering on a Somehow a hot Sunday morning. What in the world just happened? Um, but meeting here, worshiping the Lord, listening to the word being preached. We're going to come to the table. What's going on here is not just a cute little songs. It's not just a cute little speech. It's not just a, a cute little meal deal. What's going on here is power in the name of Jesus. Lives are changed because of this gathering. This city is changed because Christians gather and there is power in this room because of the blood of Christ and because of what he has done for us. There is power, power, power here. I, uh, this is a very popular, um, and I'll tread lightly here because it is such a popular thing in our society to say, even amongst very devout Christians. I know lots of Christians, devout, love the Lord, love the Bible, love just God. And I would never question their faith. I would never question their devotion to God. But for some reason, and, and maybe sometimes um, legitimate reasons, uh, but they've been hurt by the church. They just want nothing to do with the church. They're, they're faithful. They're Christian. And, and they might say things like, well, on Sundays, I would rather get rest. And, and for them, what that means is staying home, maybe TV and, and donuts or going out to breakfast and what, whatever it is. That for them is rest. And I, and I realize that coming to church is not easy. Those of you with young kids, those of you with physical conditions, those of you with situations, coming to church may not be easy. Um, but if you come and you come regularly, you will find here true rest. I think of the Egyptians, uh, the, the Israelites in Egypt, Israelites in Egypt long ago, times of Moses, when they were set free and they were given rest and they were told to take a Sabbath rest, a day of the week and do no work and to rest. What did that mean to them? Did that mean just staying home and, and eating donuts and on the couch? No, to them, what, what did that mean? That meant something very important. It kind of redefines what we mean by true rest. For them, it was 
worshiping the Lord. They want to be free from the, from the Egyptian slavery to worship the Lord, to take a day of rest and to worship him. Our gathering, just as a side note this morning, is so important. If you're here, praise the Lord. Touch your neighbor and say, aren't you glad you came? <laughs> All right. The next point. Worship. What comes after worship? Connect. Let's talk quickly about connect. Connecting, of course, with one another, this congregation, this community, and connecting with God's presence, with Scripture. I wrote it like this. Connecting with what is good and it, what is of God outside of ourselves. I think there's a, there's a kind of order that goes with worship, connect, serve. We worship, then we connect, and then we serve. But I personally love it when the connect piece gets out of order. And for example, when someone finds community here among us, and maybe they get part of the men's group or men's bike ride, or they come to a women's group, or they, they meet some people and hang out with them, or they just start coming to church, um, and they're like, I don't really believe this, but I love that you welcome me. I love that you love me and you smile and you remember my name. I love that. And so people come and they, they're just overwhelmed by the love and the community and they really don't believe. But I love that when that happens, when that connection comes before worship. And I think usually what happens is the worship does follow. People end up worshiping God. This sermon point, this connect piece will be a, a quick one because this whole sermon series will hit different points. Next week we'll talk about connecting with God, specifically prayer. We'll talk about connecting with scripture. We'll talk about our, our lives, our families, our marriage, and what it means to connect in all these different ways. So that is the connect piece. A lot more to come in this sermon series. Finally, let's talk about serve. Worship, connect, serve. This uh, order, I guess, of events is usually our family, congregation, city, world. Like, where do we serve? Well, make sure you're serving your family, your, your circles, the congregation, the city, and then the world. I think it's uh, maybe funny sometimes, maybe truly out of order sometimes when someone's family is falling apart and they're like, well, I got to serve the city. You got to do some trail maintenance. No, you don't. You need to be home with your family. Like your family is the first place you serve and you serve out of a love for God. It could, should come with great joy. I think about uh, premarital counseling. Anybody get premarital counseling before they got married? Yeah, amen. Um, Amen to that. My wife and I just got to have dinner with the couple that uh, did our premarital counseling 12 years ago. It was awesome. And um, I think about as a pastor, I used to be the pastor of the young adults. Turns out that young adults usually find each other and get married. Then they ask the pastor who's over them to marry them. So I've probably done 80 weddings. Like, no joke. I've done a lot. I think that's a lot. Probably not as many as Mel Waters or Lance Coles or uh, Daniel Grothy, other people uh, that have done probably quite a few more weddings than me, but I've done a lot. I feel like I've done a lot. And now I've come to this point where I, I can kind of tell if a couple gets it. If a, if a couple is going to last, I just have this intuition and it's all based upon this piece of serving. Do, does this couple serve each other? Can they serve each other? Do they enjoy serving each other or are they just kind of in love? Because love, that kind of feeling, those things will fade and the serving of each other is what a marriage really is about. And so sometimes I'll ask a couple straight up, seems like you guys need to work on serving. Uh, can I give you a homework assignment to work on this? And they'll kind of look at each other and say, nah, we're good. 
we're good. And I'll think, no, no, you're not. You have no idea, this young couple, what it really means to be married and to serve each other year after year, day after day, and how busy they think. I was like thinking about these young couples getting married. Oh, they're so busy. Just wait. You have no idea the busyness that will come, and, and this serving is is an is a indicator of what it truly means to be married. It's what, an indicator of what it truly means to be married to God and to be in his kingdom. And it is, as Acts 20 says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So if we look at these things, worship, connect, serve, this is the power of God. This is what discipleship looks like. This is the life of Christ. This is the resurrection life, worshiping, connecting, and serving. I think about all that is wrong with this world. I uh, try to glance at the news, and it's so, isn't it so depressing every day that, that you just look at people's lives falling apart, coming crashing in around them like houses built on sand. And you're like, what is, how could, like murder, like kidnapping, and, and child abuse, like horrible things. Every day in our city's news and the world news, every day, every day, every day. And it's like, how can this be? What is wrong with the world? If we would get together, if we, the church, would worship, connect, and serve, if we would build our lives on the foundation of Christ, then we would, we would just see this world as such a better place. I think about this scripture and what it means to us, and what it means to the world around us. I think the world needs to see examples of houses built on rock. I want to reread this passage. I want to pray together. Would you stand with me this morning? The band, you can come forward. We're going to prepare to take of this table up here in just a minute. But if you would, bow your head in prayer, in contemplation, asking the Holy Spirit to come, to speak to you, to give us a whole life from the bottom up, that our walls would be full of the, of the things that are right and good, that the foundation of stone and rock would be there in our lives. Matthew 7, 24, these are the words of God on earth. These are the words of Jesus himself. And he says, therefore, Whoever hears the, these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock.